Let's go live to outside Philadelphia, to Chester, Pennsylvania, where former Vice President Joe Biden is speaking. I think we're in Wisconsin. I think we're in Minnesota. I think we have a fighting chance in Ohio. I think we have a fighting chance in North Carolina. We have a fighting chance in Georgia, a fighting chance in Iowa. So fortunately, because of over six million individual voters, average contributors, average contribution, $49, we're able to compete like we haven't been able to compete before in all these different states. So that's why I said that we're going to be traveling, continue to travel. But the big difference between us and the reason why it looks like we're not traveling, we're not putting on super spreaders. We are doing what we're doing here. Everybody's wearing a mask and trying as best we can to be socially distanced. And that's what we do. And you've attended a number of our press conferences as well. It's important to be responsible. Mr. Vice President, you mentioned just a minute ago there that as part of your commission, you would look at how long justices serve on the court. Does that mean that you're open to term limits? No, 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 no. There, there, there is a question about whether or not it's a lifetime appointment. I'm not going to attempt to change that at all. There's some literature among constitutional scholars about the possibility of going from one court to another court, not just always staying the whole time on the Supreme Court. But I have made no judgment, my word. My words about made no judgment. They're just a group of serious constitutional scholars have a number of ideas how we should proceed from this point on. And uh, that's what we're going to be doing. I'm going to give them 180 days, God willing, if I'm elected, from the time I'm sworn in to be able to make such a recommendation. Look, uh, you know, uh, if you have children and you're raised, all parents are taught that the example you set impacts on how your kids react. When you're a boss of an operation, the example you set, what you do, matters to the rest of the company. Well, the words of a president and the actions of a president, they matter. They matter a great deal. And when the president of the United States puts on these super spreader events, you saw what happened when she was announced. All the people, including his family, thank God they seem to be okay. All the people came down with COVID. I just hope he is willing to have learned a lesson and there will be significant social distancing I don't blame him for celebrating. There's a lot of things we could be doing, having massive crowds. But the fact is that it's just not appropriate now. And so I just, I just hope he and the vice president and others act with some dispatch and do it what everybody knows. People should be tested first before they even show up, number one. Number two, they should be wearing masks. Number three, they should be socially distanced. And number four, it shouldn't be a huge crowd, whether it's outside or not. Thank you all very, very much. Appreciate it. Former Vice President Joe Biden taking questions at a campaign stop in Chester, Pennsylvania, right outside Philadelphia, part of the collar uh, outside Philly, an important area for any politician trying to win the Commonwealth 
of Pennsylvania. Uh, the vice president, former vice president, really focusing uh, on his closing argument, which is that President Trump has mishandled the pandemic and continues to do so. Let's go right to CNN's Jessica Dean. Jessica, this was clearly an unexpected stop from the former vice president. Yes, we were not expecting this stop. This was uh, last minute in the afternoon. He's going uh, talking with some voters uh, over in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, which you, Jake, mentioned, one of the collar counties around uh, Philadelphia. It's going to be really, really important uh, in the battleground state of Pennsylvania. They always look to what's happening in those suburban counties. That's where we've seen Biden doing very well with suburban voters, especially women. So not a surprise that he would go to Delaware County and talk to voters there. What was interesting, uh, we heard him again going back to the COVID pandemic. This has been central to their campaign. It is a giant part of their closing argument. And that is that President Trump and his administration have not acted in the best interest of the American people. You heard him uh, going after the Trump administration, President Trump, uh, Vice President Pence, about how they're campaigning. Uh, we've noticed and, and drawn attention to uh, just in the last hour that Biden is not officially on the campaign trail today with, with a rally or a planned stop. Uh, his campaign saying that they're doing this because because they have to campaign safely and effectively uh, during a pandemic. And he talked a little bit about that, Jake. Uh, but again, going back to COVID, going back to how he would handle it as a very sharp contrast as to how the Trump administration has handled it uh, thus far. All right. And a real indication of, uh, of how much both uh, Biden and Trump are competing for Pennsylvania. Biden there uh, today doing two Absolutely. events, one in Chester County, one in Delaware County. Uh, and then uh, President Trump doing three events uh, in Pennsylvania as well. Jessica Dean, thanks so much. It's one week and one day until Election Day. And even though the pandemic is reaching new and worsening levels of spreading of new cases, the president of the United States today is again pushing the falsehood that the U.S. is rounding the corner on the pandemic. The United States is not rounding the corner on the pandemic. Hospitalizations are up. Deaths are up. Cases are up. This past week, the U.S. recorded almost half a million new cases of the virus. It was, in fact, the most ever in a single week. And at least five of the 8.6 million total cases in the U.S. are from the vice president's inner circle. Yet the vice president is not quarantining, even though he came in close contact with at least one of those individuals. He's defying CDC guidance, claiming he's an essential worker, Pence is also the head of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. He just finished a rally. Masks not required. No social distancing. People grouped in tight bunches. When we know that these rallies, Trump rallies, have been linked to the spread of coronavirus. In minutes, President Trump is going to hold his own third rally, another potential super spreader event, just today. By all appearances, the president has given up trying to control the spread of coronavirus in the United States. And now his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, acknowledged that to me on TV yesterday, saying that their goal is not to contain the virus from spreading throughout the nation. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation Why aren't we going to get control of the because, pandemic? Because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why we are not going to control the pandemic, said the White House Chief of Staff. A stunning admission from the Trump administration as we all enter this new worsening phase of the pandemic, as CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports. President Trump is making his final pitch to voters as the country is setting new coronavirus records and highlighting how his administration has failed to contain the pandemic. 
Trump praising his efforts as he attempted to clean up this admission from his chief of staff. We're not going to control the pandemic. We are going to control the fact that we get uh, vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation. Why aren't we going to get control of the beca- pandemic? Be- because it is a contagious virus, just like the flu. Yeah, but why- Democratic nominee Joe Biden called that moment a candid acknowledgement of what President Trump's strategy has clearly been from the beginning, to wave the white flag of defeat. Trump fired back at Biden today. No, no, he has. He's waved a white flag on life. He doesn't leave his basement. This guy doesn't leave his basement. With only eight days until the election, Biden making a surprise stop in Pennsylvania as Trump holds three rallies there today, where he claimed media coverage of the global pandemic is intended to hurt him. All they want to talk about is COVID. By the way, on November 4th, you won't be hearing so much about it. COVID, COVID, COVID. The president didn't mention the rising cases or new wave of infections in the White House after five people in Vice President Mike Pence's orbit tested positive, including his chief of staff and body man. Despite being the head of the coronavirus task force, Pence is refusing to quarantine and citing federal rules on essential workers. The vice president obviously has great knowledge about uh, the disease and the pandemic, and he knows the right protocols to follow, and I have every confidence that he's following those protocols. Exactly one month after the Rose Garden ceremony for Amy Coney Barrett that was later tied to an outbreak in the West Wing, the White House is planning another in-person event tonight to celebrate her expected confirmation to the Supreme Court. Senators will vote on Barrett's nomination tonight, and Pence indicated this weekend that he would preside over the vote. I'm going to be in the chair because I wouldn't miss that vote for the world. But it turns out he'll miss the vote. At Pence aide telling CNN today he'll no longer attend unless a tie-breaking vote is needed, which isn't likely. Now, Jake, when the president was asked earlier today about this event, he said it's not going to be a large event, but we are hearing that it's expected to be held on the South Lawn, of course, a large venue tonight. And the chief of staff said earlier there would be social distancing, but he did not mention if it's going to be required to be tested to get into that event or wear a mask while you're there. And we do know, we just learned that Justice Clarence Thomas is expected to administer the oath to Amy Coney Barrett once that vote does happen in the Senate tonight around 730 is what we're expecting so far. All right, Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. I want to bring in CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, um, before we get to some of the policy ideas here, I just want to take a second to reflect on President Trump saying falsely that we're not going to cover a once-in-a-century pandemic that has killed more than 225,000 Americans, infected more than 8.7 million, including uh, people we know. Uh, The idea that he's mocking it, COVID, COVID, COVID. I mean, I know people, you know people who have lost loved ones to this virus. It's just shocking to hear the president of the United States talk about this deadly pandemic so glibly. Uh, Absolutely, uh, Jake. I mean, it's it's what I was thinking immediately when I heard those those comments. I mean, the, 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 the cognitive dissonance here in terms of, you know, him sort of basically, you know, forget about waving the white flag. I think it's it's worse than that, Jake. I heard your interview over the weekend. I mean, this has been a pursuit of herd immunity. This has been basically a let, let's not only just wave the white flag, let's just let this infection, 
you know, run through the nation. And we've talked many times about how destructive that would be in terms of the number of people who would die, the number of, of the hospitals becoming overwhelmed, which is already happening. And also, Jake, you know, th this idea that we don't even know how long the immunity lasts, right? So people get infected. We have all these terrible things that happen. Uh, and then it's sort of treadmilling. You know, you're just running in place for so long, not actually achieving anything. So it was really discouraging to hear this many months into the pandemic. I think for you and me, Jake, we've talked about this so many times. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, and by the way, in terms of herd immunity, we know of individuals who got the virus, then got better, then got it again, and some of them have even right. died. Now, it might be very, very rare, but we don't know anything about immunity at this point. Uh, th there is evidence it, to the contrary. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a terrible strategy all, all around. I mean, the, the herd immunity thing, it was never supposed to sort of play out this way. Ask any public health person. I, the idea of trying to prevent these illnesses in the first place was always the strategy, the, the, the best strategy, this idea that you're going to sort of have this faux immunity. We don't know how long it lasts. People do get reinfected. It's it's just boggles my mind here, you know, at the end of October, that that's essentially, again, I listened to your interview very carefully on Sunday, it's essentially what he was saying. It's the same yeah. thing Scott Atlas has said. It's what people say that they're not saying, but then they're doing everything that basically en enables that herd immunity sort of strategy to take hold. So let's it's, talk, it's a terrible about idea. That. We should just be really clear about that. Yeah, because White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said you can't control the virus. You can't control the pandemic. Now, Joe Biden's response to this uh, is that the White House is waving a white flag. Um, what do you think? Is that is that a fair description by Biden of of the position of the White House? I you know I, I think it's I think it's worse than that. I mean to, to say that we surrender is is one thing, but the idea to say hey look we're not only going to surrender we're just going to lay down and basically let this virus take over uh, take a hold of the country. I mean Jake, five people infected in the most, arguably the most secure house in the world, uh, the White House. You know, it, the, the five people were infected in the entire country of New Zealand during that same time. I mean, it, we, it, is, um, it is far more nefarious, I think, than simply saying, hey, look, this is a contagious virus. We're doing the best we can. This is, we haven't done the best we can. And we purposely, in some ways, didn't do the best we can in terms of testing, in terms of advocating mask wearing, in terms of, you know, keeping, you know, the, the things not shut down necessarily, but, but not allowing large gatherings of people in largely indoor clustered sort of settings. All of that that made a big difference in other places around the world, we didn't do. So it, we didn't just surrender. We, we, we enabled this virus to sort of really take over. And Pence is also uh, refusing to quarantine the vice president, exposed to Mark Short, who has symptoms, has coronavirus, his chief of staff. Pence is refusing to quarantine. The White House says he can campaign because he's a, quote, essential worker. I don't know that campaigning for office is considered essential work. Who does the CDC say is an essential worker? Yeah, well, I can show you the, the, the definition of what the CDC says. We, we looked this up and, you know, part of this is, I guess, depending on how you, you, should, you should interpret this. this. There's a different definition screen I think we can put up in terms of what actually constitutes an essential worker. But basically, it's, it's jobs that preserve and protect uh, national security and public health, jobs that are essential for the country to keep running. Um, this is not that. In fact, I mean, not to be overly ironic here, Jake, but what he is doing potentially puts people at risk with regard to public health. 
So if the goal is, look, I need to be in this job because my job is essential to preserving public health in this country, but in order to do that, I'm going to potentially be walking around with a virus, not always even wearing a mask, potentially infecting other people. It's almost the opposite. Again, I don't want to be glib, like you are saying, Jake, but, but it, is, it is exactly the wrong thing to do. We know that testing uh, is one strategy, but people can test negative today and test positive tomorrow. I mean, I hope, you know, I know that the vice president and, uh, the, first, and the second lady have been tested. They are negative. But, you know, th this, is, this is a concern for them, but it's also a concern for everyone around them. Since President Trump returned to the campaign trail from his own bout with coronavirus, uh, he's been actually making matters even worse. He's been falsely saying every day that the U.S. is rounding the corner, even though that's not true. We are, had this, the, the, the worst week ever of new infections. Several states are reporting record high hospitalizations. Governors, Democrats, Republicans are saying their health systems are, are being overwhelmed. I don't understand it. You'd think that he would have some humility about this, given the fact that, according to himself, according to his own words, he almost died from this. And, of course, he had this incredible therapeutics. Uh, what's your reaction? Yeah, I, I'm really surprised, you know, I mean, just as a doc, you know, taking care of patients who have had these brushes with their own mortality or had severe illness, it, it typically is, is a uh, not only physical but psychological sort of uh, game changer for them in terms of how they approach their lives. People exercise more after they've had some sort of heart problem. They're more likely to, to psychologically be different. And this is the opposite. Whether he actually feels this way or he's just saying what he's saying, I have no way of knowing. I mean, look at Chris Christie, spent seven days in the ICU and came out essentially a changed man with regard to his, his sort of positioning on coronavirus, wearing masks. He's surprised that the vice president is not quarantining. You know, Chris Christie is saying that. So this is, this is a, a, a bit surprising. But Jake, it's that hospitalization number that I think is so critical because people, I think the number of people who become newly infected every day, I'm getting the sense that that's starting to wash over people when we give those numbers. They're not, they're not really absorbing it. It's almost like it's too many numbers to absorb. Once you start running into a situation, as you correctly mentioned, Jake, where hospital systems are starting to feel like, hey, we're getting pretty full here. We're starting to look around. Do we need to start canceling elective surgery? Do we have enough stuff in terms of PPE and all those other things? Do we need to start thinking about surge capacity in other buildings outside the hospitals? Jake, those are real conversations that are happening right now in the United States and many cities around the country. We did not need to be in that position. As I said, the same number of cases in New Zealand yesterday as in the White House. That, that does not need to be happening here. Well, and let me also underline, Sanjay, that's a, a, according to what we know. I mean, this is a White House that right. keeps information from us. Mark Meadows, the chief of staff, tried to hide the outbreak among the vice president's staff. There might be many more cases in the White House that we don't know about because they're not being honest with us. Dr. Sanjay Gupta, uh, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your time. You. What the campaign stops tell us about Donald Trump's and Joe Biden's strategies for the final days before Election Day, and we'll take a closer look at the seven states that could decide who takes the oath of office in January. We have breaking news in the money lead now. A dramatic drop on Wall Street today on the heels of a worsening pandemic. The Dow closed down 650 points after plunging most of the day. Let's get over to CNN's Allison Kosick. She's at the New York Stock Exchange. Allison, investors are, are taking note of the sudden surge in coronavirus cases, it seems. 
Jake, that's right. COVID is the catalyst for today's sell-off. New COVID cases hitting record levels. That spooked investors. Look, there's a lot for investors to grapple with as this cocktail of uncertainty just grows. Investors are looking at the restrictions, uh, you know, the tighten that have tightened across major countries overseas, and they're thinking, is the U.S. next? The concern, more restrictions here could hit the economy. Stocks are also sinking today as stimulus talks stall again, meaning no aid for struggling Americans and businesses anytime soon. And then there's the election. We are eight days away and investors are on edge about the outcome, uh, whether it will be contested. So with that triple whammy on Wall Street's plate, Jake, nerves are frayed and investors are buckling up for what's expected to be a rocky road ahead for the stock market, at least in the next few weeks. Jake. All right, Allison Kosick, thank you so much. Turning to our 2020 lead, while President Trump holds three rallies in Pennsylvania today, Joe Biden just met with some voters outside Philadelphia, but it's not just Pennsylvania. One glance at the map makes it clear where the Biden team is focused in this closing stretch. There have stops in Florida, Texas, Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, and Georgia. Almost all of them states President Trump narrowly won in 2016. Joining us now to discuss CNN's Neomalika Henderson and Abby Phillip. And Abby, we just heard Joe Biden will also visit Iowa and Wisconsin on Friday. Iowa is a, is a surprise. Do you think it's a smart strategy for the Biden campaign in the final stretch to focus on reach states uh, like Iowa, like Georgia, as opposed to just honing in on the states that they need, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan? You know, I think it's probably fine for the Biden campaign to dabble in some of these reach states, uh, especially if it puts the Trump campaign on defense. That's a pretty well-worn political strategy. But ultimately, as you alluded to, it's really down to some really core states for Biden. And the most central of them is Pennsylvania, where he was was just a few minutes ago. There is... uh, I think no other state on the map that is more important for Joe Biden than Pennsylvania. It makes his path incredibly, a lot more, significantly easier, uh, and it will make Donald Trump's path a lot harder. So, you know, Iowa is a place that the Trump campaign says that they are doing very well, but the fact that Biden is going there, forcing them to continue to uh, invest time and resources into it, is a sign that Biden is on the offense uh, in this map. But at the same time, based on 2016, you cannot get overconfident at this stage. Nia, today we saw uh, Donald Trump holding three rallies in Pennsylvania. Joe Biden met with voters outside of Philadelphia and Chester County. We hear he's also going to Delaware County. It's pretty clear that both campaigns still see Pennsylvania up for grabs. Oh, absolutely. It's a state that uh, Donald Trump obviously narrowly won uh, in 2016. And it's sort of a home state for uh, Joe Biden. He likes to talk about his roots uh, in Scranton. And so, yes, uh, you know, and I think everything that Abby said is exactly correct. Biden essentially needs to win uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan, essentially building that blue wall that we all saw uh, collapsed in in 2016. So there he is in Chester, uh, Pennsylvania. That's an area with a lot of African Americans. It's near uh, Philadelphia. That's what he he needs to do. And we obviously saw uh, Barack Obama there as well in Philadelphia. Uh, So getting those voters uh, to come out. And and one of the things that's also, I think, important, we talk about sort of the reach states that he's going to, Iowa, uh, folks are going to Texas, Arizona, Nevada. Uh, There are also down ballot races that are really important, that if you're Joe Biden, uh, you can bring some attention uh, and energy to some of those down ballot races in a place like Iowa, a pretty competitive uh, Senate race there. And in Pennsylvania, 
also some down ballot races on the House side, particularly that are going to be really close uh, as well. So there is a wholesale strategy that they have, not only being there in, in person, but they also have uh, the kind of ad uh, budget that the Trump campaign doesn't have at this point. Abby, this has been a remarkably consistent race for months, poll-wise. Uh, we know that Joe Biden is closing with the argument uh, that President Trump has mishandled the coronavirus pandemic, uh, and he'll fix it and then bring the economy back. That's his closing message. I'm not exactly sure what the closing message is that I'm hearing from the Trump campaign. Uh, what, what are you hearing, what, and what do you expect to hear? I think the Trump campaign has decided, and this decision was made shortly after the president recovered from the coronavirus himself, that they have no choice really but to run on reopening the country, run on this idea that the virus is not actually the dominant uh, factor in this race or in American life. It is a risky strategy, but it's one that I think does resonate with some portion of the country, somewhere between 30 and 40 percent. And look, the way the Trump campaign sees it is that holding these massive rallies is is obviously a political risk in one sense because it kind of emphasizes the, the potential super spreader nature of these events. But it is such a critical get out the vote uh, machine for the Trump campaign. It is such an energizer for his base. You can see why they almost feel like they have no choice but to do that. The president has a narrow path. He can't afford to lose his own people. And so they've really been hyper focused on that, even potentially at the expense of independent voters and swing voters. Right. And also, this is notwithstanding the immorality of holding super spreader yeah. events, potential super spreader <laughs> events in the middle of a pandemic. So that's just looking at the raw politics of it, forgetting about infecting people. Exactly. Uh, Nia, I want to get your, your reaction to an exchange I had with the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, when I questioned why they don't require or even really encourage mask wearing at the rallies. Uh, take a listen. We give out masks. We have a number of people wear them. Wear- well, it's a free society. You're not wearing one right now, Jay. There's literally nobody in this room. There is literally not yeah, one person so, in the studio. So you're saying that you always wear a mask wherever you go. Come on, Jake. The American people know that's not true. I know it's not true. I wear and, a and, mask and, it, when, except when I'm in here, in my office, and home. That is true. A hundred percent. But I wear what, a mask when I walk in the hallway at CNN. I, I just thought that was stunning because they, I mean, this is why the White House is is a hot zone of yes. coronavirus. We, you guys work at CNN. We literally wear masks everywhere, and almost everybody is working from home. This is my home. mask. Yeah. yeah, where's mine? Here's mine right here. I mean, like, literally, <laughs> we're always bag. doing this when we walk down the street. I, I don't even understand it. I mean, it's stunning that he thinks it's stunning that there is a process in place in office spaces that includes wearing masks all the time when you're out in the hallway. And of course, our hallways here at CNN, and we all know this, are fairly empty. Uh, Everyone is essentially uh, working from home uh, at this point. So yes, people's lives have changed. I wear a mask every time I go outside of of my house. And I'm sure you you do too, to keep myself safe, uh, to keep my family safe, to keep other people safe. So this idea that he's just stunned, oh my God, that that people wear masks all the time, uh, in in, in itself, in his indictment of what has gone on at that White House, and it explains uh, why they had that first outbreak with the president uh, and why they had the second outbreak uh, with with Pence. And and I I think we can suspect uh, that with these super spreader events that they're holding all around the country, there are likely some outbreaks that are related uh, to those events as well. And, And, you know, we'll see how that goes 
lot of the uh, reporting and tracking, you know, will catch up to that at some point. Uh, but my goodness, I mean, what a, a stunning interview and admission from Mark I, Meadows that they don't I, have I, any process in place at the White House. I, I just couldn't even believe it yeah. because, first of all, D.C. has the, one of the highest rates of mask wearing in the entire yes. country, with the possible exception uh, of that one building at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm sorry, 1600 uh, Black Lives Matter Plaza. Uh, Nia Malika Henderson, uh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Abby, we're going to come back to you in a sec. With, with just eight days left, more than 60 million Americans have already voted. We're going to take a look at what that really means next. We're back now with our 2020 lead. We are down to single digits, just eight days until Election Day. Already more pre-election ballots have been cast so far than in all of 2016, more than 60 million so far. And you can see this record-breaking turnout across the country with people continuing to wait in hours-long lines to cast their votes for whomever. And with just days to go, there may be a new force to reckon with in some key battleground states. Early data in key states shows a strong turnout among young voters compared to this time in 2016, as CNN's Abby Phillip reports in our latest installment of Making It Count. Early voting again, bringing lines of voters in the final full week before the election. Vote. Vote like your life depends on it. Even the ongoing coronavirus pandemic isn't putting a stop to civic duty. The way the country's in right now, I think we're all trying to make a difference. The U.S. hitting record early turnout. More than 60 million Americans have already voted, surpassing all 2016 early ballots cast. More young people and minorities are casting ballots early this time. I want us to be better as a, as a country. I think there's a lot of injustice and things that need to be fixed. And this NASA astronaut proved you can vote even when it's zero gravity. I think it's really important for everybody to vote. And if we can do it from space, uh, then I believe folks can do it from the ground, too. In Battleground, Georgia, the total ballots cast has more than doubled ballots cast at this point in 2016. And in Texas, more than 7.3 million people voted so far, according to data posted on the Texas Secretary of State's website. That represents more than 43% of registered voters. In 2016, only about 59% of registered voters actually voted. God, I voted. As Maryland begins its first day of early voting, concerns about long lines and violence continue. Thank you, arrested! In New York City, protesters clashed in Times Square on Sunday, resulting in at least nine arrests. Boston police arrested a suspect in connection with a ballot drop box allegedly set on fire. This is a very serious issue. It's a federal crime. We're going to insist on prosecuting whoever did this. The incident prompting the Massachusetts Secretary of State to issue a directive for election departments to step up security through Election Day. Now, Jake, a University of Florida researcher has looked into how many ballots have already been rejected in that state. He's been looking at this issue for quite some time and found that about 15,000 had already been rejected. But the key here is that while younger voters are voting more, their ballots, as well as ballots of black and Hispanic voters, are more likely, disproportionately likely, to be rejected. It really highlights the need for voters, if they are voting by mail, to look at the rules in their state and find out how they can fix those signature rejection problems before Election Day. Otherwise, their ballots may not be counted. All right, Abby Phillip, thanks so much. For one candidate, they might just be the Magnificent Seven. A closer look at the key states that could decide this election. Stay with us. 
And we're back now with more in our 2020 lead. Nearly half of all registered voters in battleground North Carolina have already made their choice for president. Over 3 million ballots cast so far in that state, more than the total of early ballot cast in 2016. And now with just eight days to go, former Vice President Joe Biden is ramping up his ground game in North Carolina, hoping to flip a critical state that President Trump won by a slim margin in 2016, as CNN's Jeff Zeleny now reports. Crowds thunder for President Trump. Thank you, North Carolina. Go out and vote. And horns honk for Joe Biden. Hello, North Carolina. But the real work is also happening here in the neighborhoods of Trump and Biden supporters. In the closing days of the race, volunteers for the Biden campaign are hitting the streets for the first time in eight months after being grounded by the pandemic. So go Biden, let's do this. They have gloves, masks, and an urgent task. Finding voters who still haven't been reached. People have been calling and texting and writing and everything they can do and have not heard from these voters. So this conversation or this contact is really important. Carolyn Eberly and Scarlett Hollingsworth have been itching to knock on doors and look those voters in the eye. We say in North Carolina, we don't do landslides, we do squeakers. <laughs> so we have to really get you know, those votes out. You wonder what the other side's been doing and if they've been doing this all along. We've heard that and seen that, that the uh, Trump campaign has been out canvassing um, throughout this all, all, all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, the people that we want to elect care about people's lives. And so that's why this decision was made to not do it. Until now, Team Biden has done most of its work virtually, while Trump has gone full speed ahead with his rallies at the center of it all. Thank you to Gastonia, beautiful name. Four years ago, Trump won Gaston County by more than 30 percentage points. To win North Carolina again, he's trying to increase those margins. That's really one of the reasons why he wanted to come here was to energize the base. So the rally is part of the GOTV effort here. Absolutely, absolutely. Here and everywhere else he goes, you know, that, that's, that's the point of him going places is to get people out to vote. Yet it's not just big rallies. Republicans have been going door to door for months. It's better to come to their houses and come to people where they are. Here in the growing Charlotte suburbs, Amy Bynum is running for state house. She's also secretary of the county GOP. It's our job to reach the new folks. It's our job to reach, um, get our Republicans out to vote. North Carolina has more than 1.3 million new registered voters since 2016. As cases of coronavirus soar, turning out voters is a challenge facing both sides, but particularly Democrats. Go to the polls! Go to the polls! For Biden to win here, high enthusiasm among black voters is key. With a leader like Joe Biden. Charlotte Mayor Vi Lyles says she thinks about this every day, but believes Democrats have an even bigger motivating force. And this time has been framed by COVID and the president's lack of response for it. And that's why I think people are going to come out to vote. So President Trump, of course, motivates voters on both sides of the aisle, Jake. He's been to this state twice in the last six days. So certainly it fires up Republicans as well as Democrats. But there are questions about if Democrats have been organizing in a way they had previously. That Obama victory back in 2008 was built on the backbone of a strong organizing effort. Of course, a lot has changed then with technology. This is a virtually organized campaign, but it's certainly telling the Biden campaign at the end of this campaign is hitting the streets. They're trying to get out every vote possible. We should point out more than 3 million voters already cast here in early voting in North Carolina. Jake.
All right, Jeff Zeleny, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I want to bring in CNN's Harry Enten now. He spends all day, every day, analyzing the polls for CNN. And Harry, you say results in just seven key states could determine the outcome of the election. What are those states? Let, let me see your map. Sure. So these are the seven closest states that Donald Trump won in 2016. So it's Arizona in the southwest. You go Florida in the southeast, then North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and then finally Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. That's the seventh of the closest contests. So those are the seven contests I'm watching most closely. And you think that Biden potentially could win most of those? Yeah, I absolutely do. And the reason I do is just take a look at the polling averages in those states right now, right, in those contests. And what you see is that Biden is ahead in all of them. The leads are somewhat bigger in Michigan, Nebraska's second congressional district, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. His leads are above five points or above there. It's lower in those other states. But if you give those states to Joe Biden, plus the states that Hillary Clinton won in 2016, you get Biden at 334. In fact, if you just give Biden, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, plus the states Hillary Clinton won in 2016, that also gets him above 270 electoral votes. So today, Joe Biden uh, in Chester County, uh, Pennsylvania, and also Delaware County, Pennsylvania, Trump also in Pennsylvania holding three different rallies. It's competitive. Uh, I, I know the Biden campaign does not feel like it's in their pocket. They do not think they, they have it. Uh, but you say there are two counties in Pennsylvania that you're watching in particular. Which ones are those? Sure. You know, and I'd also agree with them and just say that Pennsylvania to me is arguably the most important state this election cycle. But within Pennsylvania, I'm watching Erie County in the northwest and then Northampton sort of in the southeast, right on the edge of the range of the Philadelphia media market. And the reason I'm watching those counties is because both of those are counties that went for Barack Obama in 2012, went for Donald Trump in 2016, and then in the 2018 Senate race went for the Democratic candidate Bob Casey. So for me, they are bellwether counties. Whoever wins both of those counties, in my mind, is likely to be the winner in Pennsylvania come election 2020. Erie County, represented once by then-Congressman, then after that, Governor Tom Ridge, a Republican who has endorsed Joe Biden. Interesting. Harry Enten, thanks so much. Appreciate it. As coronavirus cases surge, one familiar face says it may be time for a national mask mandate as we head into what could be a deadly winter. Stay with us. With the number of new coronavirus cases climbing to the highest level of the pandemic yet, former FDA commissioner during the Trump administration, Scott Gottlieb, is now calling for a national mask mandate in a new op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. The nation's top infectious disease expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has suggested the same thing as well. Joining me now, Dr. Michael Sag. He's professor of medicine and infectious disease at the University of Alabama Birmingham. Dr. Sag, I want to read you a portion of Gottlieb's op-ed. In it, he says, quote, a mandate can be expressly limited to the next two months. The inconvenience would allow the country to preserve health care capacity and keep more schools and businesses open. Everyone wearing a mask in public would help reduce asymptomatic spread. Do you, do you agree with Gottlieb's assessment here? Is it now time to implement a, a national requirement that we all wear masks in public? Absolutely. We've seen in Alabama, for example, when the governor issued a mask mandate back in July that our cases came down in the next three or four weeks. So there's no question that masks work. And the thing that puzzles me is why is there so much resistance to a mask? We all want to be as open as possible and mask makes it 
possible for us to get back to something toward a normal life. So why we're fighting that, I don't quite understand. When you look at it on a state-by-state level, the data on mask mandates isn't as clear as perhaps it is in Alabama. For example, California and Vermont, they both have mask mandates, but they've seen daily new cases surge by more than 50% over the past week. States that don't have mask mandates, such as North and South Dakota, are also seeing significant rises. Um, What does this say to you, the fact that even places that have mask mandates are having the surge? Well, the mandate is only a regulation. It's how enforced it is. So uh, last week in the Washington Post, there was a nice graphic that showed uh, a correlation between the states that had pretty good uh, compliance with mask wearing and lower case numbers than those states who did not have many people wearing masks. So, in fact, the correlation was quite striking. We know that they work. Again, we talked about this over and over, and I'm sure the audience is tired of hearing about this, but we kind of all want to get out of jail free card that we can just get back to normal without any kind of action on our part. We have the highest daily average caseload than we've ever had during the entire epidemic, and there's no signs of it slowing down. So we've got to do something and nobody wants to go back to lockdown. So why don't we all just wear masks and move on? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Um, President Trump has faced criticism for continuing to hold these rallies in which masks are not required. There's no social distancing. Crowds bunch bunch together. Listen to what one Trump supporter told CNN's Ryan Nobles about why he doesn't think he needs to wear a face covering. Take a listen. He gets a lot of criticism for holding these rallies. Do you think that's a fair criticism with... Everybody shoulder to shoulder, not a lot of people wearing masks. Um, No, I really don't think it's a problem. They're outside where there's free air and not everybody is spitting droplets everywhere. So that Trump supporter says, uh, we're outside, there's free air, not everybody is spitting droplets everywhere. How would you respond uh, to that rally, rally goer? Is there any truth to what he said? I mean, it is better to have an event outside than inside, I guess. Well, it's absolutely better to be outside, but when you have people crowded together, especially when they're not just talking, but cheering and screaming, that's for the person who's infected in the group, they're spreading a lot of virus into the cloud around them that other people can breathe. I just got out of COVID clinic, and that's why I'm kind of still in my scrubs. And while I was there today, I saw a woman who went to a wedding. It was outdoors. And at that wedding, one person infected 22 others. This was three weeks ago. So Being outside helps, but it's only one part of the equation. Wearing a mask, keeping distance, and and staying outdoors as much as possible. We know the mantra. We've been saying the same thing for almost nine months. So if we just did it, we could make a difference in the epidemic. And for some reason, I don't know why it's become politicized. It's unfortunate. But we have to rise above the politics and do really what's patriotic, which is protecting ourselves, our family, and, and as well, our community. Uh, and Dr. Sag, just uh, quickly, if you could, uh, President Trump at a rally suggested that the reason the numbers are so high uh, is because doctors are cooking the books because they get paid more if somebody dies from COVID uh, as opposed to if they die from cancer. And as somebody who is on the front lines of this horrific pandemic, I'm just wondering what your reaction was to that. It was hard to hear. Uh, I, no doctor that I know of 
uh, wants this epidemic here. No hospital administrator wants it. We'd rather be back to normal, just like everybody listening to the broadcast today. To say that there is a motivation to do this is, frankly, uh, a little bit absurd. All right, Dr. Sag, thank you so much. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. Tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.